Welcome to the Adventures in Wellbeing podcast. My name is Damien Chaparro. I'm the founder of Araha Wellness Retreat, and this is a place where we refine and define the art of living exceptionally well. We'll be interviewing sought-after minds in movement, consciousness, nutrition, impact, and topics that allow our human family to thrive. We don't like chatting about the mundane, so if you enjoy deeper conversations and you're willing to tiptoe at the edge of comfort, you've found the right place to hang out. Hello, my friends. I hope this finds you well and good. You and I have just moved through perhaps one of the largest waves of uncertainty of our lives. And as this experience lingers, it's nice just to reflect on where we've come to. The research that was lacking just months ago is now making our world safer. It now seems that the very best thing we can do is to prioritize our well-being, to elevate our immune system, and to practice good hygiene. And unless we're in a high-risk group, move back into our lives. The key takeaway for me is to prioritize well-being. And while I wouldn't say that's a new priority, it seems to have just a little bit more urgency in these days. And I would say I notice in my life that it's all too easy to allow my own health and wellness, both physical and spiritual, to slip down the order of priorities. And so if you notice the same for you, let's speak for just a moment about change. One thing I've been noticing in my life is that the psychology of change is helping for me to craft my life. I've been, over the last several years, quite consciously taking one habit at a time, focusing in on that one habit until it lasts, until it becomes part of who I am. And I'm still in awe of how effective this process is. So I'll just share a little bit here about what it means, and perhaps you might join along and choose some aspect of yourself to work with. The first thing just to note is that if left unconscious, we may tend to choose habits that don't always serve us. It seems that quick fixes and things that feel good or taste good or um, resolve an immediate discomfort, whether or not they have lasting good, will tend to be what we choose. So if we're not having a great day, we might grab something sweet and tasty, or we might intoxicate, or we might do any number of things that create an immediate shift within. However, many of these habits we already know aren't serving us, from checking in with social media or spending time in front of a screen mindlessly reading news story after news story. So the key here is to zoom out a little bit and just notice what your habits are. And then choose one. Choose the one that you notice first that isn't serving you. Give it your entire attention. Decide to shift. Hold that new habit for three months. Create knowledge around your habit. Learn about it. Create associations. Learn why you want to change it. Share that learning with others. Maybe get others on board. Once you've held the habit for three or more months, what I can tell you is that regardless of how ingrained that habit is, no matter how much it feels as though you could never give it up, it will slowly but surely lose its grip. 
And what's amazing is you come out the other side, not missing a thing, just enjoying the benefit. Now fast forward in your life a few years and imagine that you've changed five or six of the habits that serve you least and you've created perhaps five or six more habits that generate long-term health and vibrancy and well-being. I promise you, if you've only changed two things in both directions, you'll notice a significant difference. So our next guest speaks beautifully to the nature of change and to nourishing the self. She's joined us twice here at Araha Wellness Retreat and will be joining us again this year for a special retreat called Lifestyle of Leaders Optimized. Michelle Chevalier-Hedge is a well-being expert, a corporate wellness coach, nutritional medicine practitioner, and a best-selling author and international speaker. You may have seen her books, Beating Sugar Addictions for Dummies, and The Healthy Hormone Diet, both top sellers. And she's just released another gem titled Eat, Drink, and Still Shrink. Michelle writes for Vogue, Body and Soul, Prevention, Wellbeing, SMH, Cosmo, Mind Food, and has been a guest speaker on the Today Show and Sunrise in Australia. Michelle supports and studies health through a close relationship with Deakin University and the Food and Mood Center. She helps us synthesize the latest leading research on food and its positive effects on mental health. All right, team, if you're enjoying this so far, take a moment to subscribe or follow. And if you haven't visited the home of the podcast, you can find us at aro-ha.com. You'll find the show notes and all the details and links from this podcast there. And without further ado, if you're keen to elevate the immune system while still enjoying a wine and a coffee, this is the episode for you. Enjoy this insightful chat with the eloquent Michelle Chevalier-Hedge. All right, Michelle, welcome to the sauna. Thanks, Damien, for having me in here. I've done lots of different types of radio and podcasts, but never inside a sauna. Very cool. <laughs> it has been a delight to have you here this week, your second visit to Araha. Mm. Just noticing the session we just got out of where you were in the kitchen and and kind of sprinkling your goodness throughout the whole retreat. We've had some amazing sessions on hormones and on health and vitality and, of course, nutrition. Thanks again. It's been a delight. Oh, it's absolutely fabulous to be here. As you know, Damien, I've personally done lots of retreats myself, but also with for my business as well. And I honestly have to say of all the places I have ever been and ever done any type of wellness, I have never felt so at home or synergistic as Aroha because of not just because of the food, but the natural environment and the combination of the hiking and the yoga. It just, to me, is the perfect trifecta of well-being here. Mm, thank you. When I have been learning about you and listening to you and learning from you, I feel like I've just touched the tip of an iceberg and knowing your background from being in corporate yourself to working with corporates and there's obviously quite an interesting shift back there somewhere. Tell me about the moment or if there was a moment or the period or the time where that change occurred. That I went from corporate life corporate into becoming to, a nutritional To well-being, like where did that focus shift? 
Okay. So um, I always actually thought I would become a GP. And at some point, I actually will become a doctor. I'm not sure when, but that's definitely on my vision board. And I have a mad love of food. I come from an Italian family. My mom is Italian. My father's French and food is our life. I ended up um, having a wonderful career at Microsoft and I'm climbing the corporate ladder. And as people do, you get caught in the busyness of it all. And all of a sudden you forget how to feed yourself, that you're living on a, a treadmill. You're not then sleeping well. You are ticking, you think you're ticking all the boxes, but you're actually ticking external boxes and nothing internal, nothing that really feeds your soul. And yes, there was a definite moment actually in my new book, Eat, Drink, and Still Shrink, in the very first two pages, I call it the eyelash moment when I was, you know, just traveling, working too hard, stressed out, hitting my KPIs, but not being able to fit in my clothes, feeling bloated, feeling moody, feeling sleep deprivation. And I actually went to get dressed one day and I just couldn't look in the mirror. I was just so unhappy with my head, my heart, my body that I shuffled up to the mirror and I only put one eye in the mirror to put mascara on and then I shuffled my body the other way to put the mascara on. And I thought, when did I start to dislike myself so much? And it wasn't just about the weight, Damien. It was everything, because I'm a big believer that weight is just a measurement of gravity. It doesn't measure your purpose, your vitality, your energy, your good heart. It was everything that came with having extra weight. No one would have ever said, oh, she's overweight or she's obese. I wasn't. I was chubby. But it was everything that came with that whole manic lifestyle of working in the corporate world and not looking after myself. Mm. And I already know that you have a practice around stillness and your approach to well-being is is certainly holistic in the sense that it's not just nutrition. But there was a draw to nutrition early on. How do you see that in in kind of the as, as a piece of the whole puzzle? Like how did nutrition draw you in and and where does it sit with you today? Well, I actually thought I was going to, um, st I left Microsoft and I thought I would go on and study medicine. And I took a class just by chance on nutritional medicine. And I sat in that class and I thought immediately, this is where the research and the science is going to come hard and fast in this space because we have such an epidemic of not just physical diseases, but mental diseases. And I thought... I didn't think. I started, I was surrounded by professors and people, academics, who knew that the research was coming and there was going to be preventative wellness. And I thought, I love that idea of preventative well being. I love if we can stay one step ahead of a chronic disease or someone, you know, a disaster, we're winning. And my particular passion is, although, People would see our clinical practice as seeing people from weight loss to insulin resistance to autoimmune diseases to IBS, um, IBD. I mean, we see everything. But my particular passion at the moment is the area of mental health and how nutrition affects mental health, so much so that I dedicate 
part of the proceeds of, of my books to the Food and Mood Center out of Deakin University, which is leading the space of what is going on in gut health, mental health, nutrition, anxiety, depression, and mood disorders. And it's just fascinating. And we should be so proud to be on this side of the world with such fascinating research coming out. Cool. So it sounds certainly that that's where the passion lies of the moment. In in terms of the research that you're, you know, you've got your fingers in now, like what's the most buzzy kind of bit for you? Okay. So I'll just go back to the the original question that you actually asked me, and then I'll, I'll talk to you about the buzzy bits. So the reason I see nutrition as a vehicle to everything. I suppose every specialist sees their thing as the vehicle to everything. But just think about this. People want few things in life. They want happiness. They want financial stability. They want to feel connected. Just like, let's just take those three things. First of all, happiness. Well, how are we supposed to feel happy if we are overfed or we're not eating the right things and we're on blood sugar swings all day long? So how are we supposed to find true contentment when those blood sugar swings are making us feel like we're in brain fog or anxiety or depression or all over the place, rocking and rolling? How are we supposed to find financial stability if we need a productive brain to have strategic thinking or creative thoughts, right? So not possible, again, if we're not feeding our brain. All the things that we want as humans, I I see nutrition as a vehicle. How are we supposed to just live every day in good connection with people if we're not sleeping right because we've been feeding ourselves with such processed foods that our sleep has been disrupted. So I see nutrition as a vehicle to everything that we want. It underpins everything that we want. Mm. It may not be the, the, the complete solution, but certainly should be a big part of our well-being toolkit. Mm, awesome. And for those that are listening, they might be feeling that. They might be feeling tired. They might be feeling all sorts of um, pieces and they're, and they're a bit motivated to, to shift in, in regards to nutrition. Where would you have them start? Mm, I would start very slowly because I think small micro changes are the key to creating a lifetime of well-being. I have done every fad diet. I have studied every fad diet. In fact, my colleagues are people who invented fad diets. <laughs> and the thing is, what we, we don't need to be a behavioral psychologist to know this to be true. We go on a fad diet, we might lose three kilos, right? And there's a big focus on you know, how many calories or how many celery sticks or how many eggs or whatever that fad might be. And we might achieve losing three kilos to come off the fad diet to only gain five kilos, right? So this this constant yo-yoing, right? So the first step is to break any fad or restrictive diet and find something that's truly nourishing. So our motto is nourish, don't punish. And when you start to crowd into your diet, real whole food that's full of good quality fats, good quality proteins, lots lots of vegetables, and what I call slow carbs, right? Long burning fuel. When you start to add, when you start to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner in that format of real whole foods, 
it doesn't allow you or, or the desire or give you the desire to go sugar munching or sugar snacking because you're actually satiated from these nutrients. So our patients will say to us all the time, never eaten so much food, lost so much weight, sleep so well. And at first the approach to eating real whole food in like a, a yummy nutritious bowl for breakfast, a yummy lunch, and a small practical dinner, but still enough to feel satiated. People just are amazed that they actually lose weight and feel good. You naturally lose weight or you get to the weight that your body's meant to be when you're eating real whole food, but that's not going to happen with packaged and processed food. Now, I always, you know, say, use this as well in my conversation with people. I live in the real world with everyone else. I have three children, a dumb dog, a hundred loads of laundry, a messy kitchen. So sometimes I am picking up packaged and processed foods. But when I am, I'm making a very conscious choice on how I'm feeding my brain and my body. I remember you mentioned something in one of your sessions about reading, you know, when you are picking up a packaged food to kind of have a look at the label and you, you mentioned that you want to at least have a good guess as to what the ingredients are. You may not know exactly what it is, but most of the ingredients you should know. Yeah. Absolutely. I always use the phrase, if you can read what's in the ingredient, you're winning. Hmm. But if your mother can read it and understand it, or your grandmother, well, we know that we're winning. <laughs> <laughs> then it's good day. Very mm. cool. When I observe myself, I guess, in regards to things like nutrition, especially over the course of my life, it seems to be like you mentioned kind of these slow changes, but it also seems that habit forming or or working with habit seems to be quite a critical piece. How do you suggest that your clients shift some of these kind of old ways of being? Um, what techniques work best? I think that creating habits is so essential. In fact, when I say that I'm going to go on to become a doctor, it actually might be a doctor in behavioral psychology mm. because it is creating these small habits that feel comfortable and nourishing that they, when they become repeatable, that becomes a lifetime of habits, right? Mm. So I say to people, Maybe the first thing that you're going to do, you've come, you've come to Aroha and you've had a bit of an epiphany, you feel really good and you go back out into the real world and you're home with your dumb dog, your three children and your loads of laundry and go, where do I begin? Take a deep breath and just go, okay, why don't I just start this week by eliminating a lot of my packaged and processed foods? Or... Why don't I just start reading the package on those package and processed foods and making sure that they're very low sugar? So just taking one micro habit at a time and conquering it. So for me, when I first started entering this journey, it was, okay, I'm going to eliminate the mo mostly package and processed foods. Two weeks later, I go, okay, you know what? I'm really going to, that, that was okay. I had really simple, easy recipes. That's important to know too, is that eating well doesn't have to be a gourmet meal. It can be quite simple. Of course, having gourmet meals is a joy and, and something that we should cherish. But the everyday meal doesn't have to be gourmet. In fact, I am always talking about cooking once and eating twice. So you have to start making 
cooking things that are simple, easy, and affordable and tasty. And if there are those things, then people go, oh, okay, I didn't realize I can, that healthy thing could taste so good, be so easy and be affordable. Oh, I can do that again. Oh, oh, then I could do that again. And all of a sudden, it doesn't feel like punishment. It feels like nourishment. And you've created that new habit. So, I mean, I suggest to people, start with clean, whole, real food, unpackaged and unprocessed. Get yourself a really good idea of what you fill your pantry with and what to cook with. There's lots of good books out there that have great recipes. And make sure that those recipes are doable. If you look at a recipe and it has lots of ingredients and that you immediately know, I'd like to, but I'm not going to, don't do it. You need to have a plan because a wish, right? Or a vision of what you want without a plan is just a wish, right? You need to have a plan. So plan to succeed and just take these in small sections, right? So again, let's just go back to that first week, whole real food. Well, to make it into meals that are tasty, easy, and doable. Two weeks later, maybe you're going to concentrate a bit more on your hydration, but take these things in small doses so that all of a sudden you're just naturally doing them. So I always talk about, you know, getting rid of the packaged foods. Yeah, that will actually eliminate the excess sugars. Think about your hydration. I also think about um, how uh, sleep is a really important part of what you, what you eat affects your sleep and how you sleep affects it. So I also talk to people, try to be getting eight hours of sleep. Don't bank your sleep necessarily for the weekend, right? Because studies show that banking sleep can be equally as beneficial. But what we see in our clinical practice is the healthiest of people get between seven, eight, and even nine hours sleep a night. So again, another micro habit is don't shoot for eight hours if you're normally a six-hour sleeper. Just change your time by 15 minutes, right? Again, that's an easy micro habit for someone to do for a week or two or three. Then nudge it forward another 15 minutes. And then before you know it, in six months' time, you've created these micro habits that, again, don't feel like punishment. They're not a fad. I'm not going backwards. Oh, gee, I'm sleeping better. Oh, people are nicer to me in the street. No, no one's nicer to you in the street. You're nicer to yourself Mm. because you feel good about you. You're sleeping better. You're eating better. You're moving better. You have more energy to exercise. Your ability and your clarity to connect with people that you love, everything starts to lift. Mm. I like to call it nutritional transformation. <laughs> yeah, I like it. It's very, it's very straightforward and approachable mm. and, and mm. kind of easy. You know, you have a background, of course, in research, even in your support of Deakin University, have an affinity for science and for mm. research. But you also mentioned in one of your talks, we were, I think we were talking about apple cider vinegar. Yeah. And it seemed to be that there's also, there's a side of you which might just be kind of listening to some other, um, other than just the research. There's kind of a, another side where sometimes it's not so research-based, but something else. Tell me about that part of you that... I like to call that open-mindedness, <laughs> right? So um, as you know, Damien, I have a clinical practice in Sydney and we see, um, we see lots of, hundreds of patients a month. And so 
there's a lot to be said for clinical research and what happens in your clinic and when you're at the call face with someone who's suffering from depression or suffering from being overweight or suffering from mood swings, right? There's a lot to be said as a practitioner when you're in that environment. So I could talk from clinical research and clinical experience all the time. And in fact, in all my books, I always have case studies of real life people that go on TV with me, that go on radio with me, because I love people to know, I don't, you can't make this stuff up. This mm. stuff happens. Some of the things that we see in our clinical practice and some of the things that we share with people, like the use of apple cider vinegar, or sometimes food combining, doesn't have research. Because nutritional research is just growing, right? That that and it will continue to grow. Definitely, I think that's a space that's just going to go blow up, and which is wonderful. But this is what I always say to people: if something is working for you and it's doing no harm, then you should be the best judge of that. So, for example, using apple cider vinegar is a perfect example. There's no research on that. I've looked for a lot of research on that. And there isn't. But yet we see time and time again in our clinical practice, people say, this is fantastic. It's really helped my digestion. It's really helped my my bowel movements. Or other people go, Michelle, you're not going to believe this. I went to the podiatrist and the podiatrist told me it was going to cost me $2,000 to heal this fungus on my toes. I've been using this apple cider vinegar for three weeks. Look, I don't have any fungus. Mm. So... What I say to people is start to connect your own dots and trust your intuition. Mm -hmm. If it's doing no harm and it has no contraindications to perhaps any medication you're on or anything like that, then trust it. It's okay. In the same way that I say to people, you can be seeing the best nutritionist in the world, oncologist in the world, gastroenterologist in the world. If it doesn't resonate with you, then there's a reason it doesn't resonate with you. Think about it. Sit with it. Pivot. Go to another doctor. Get a little bit more advice. But I always say to people, question it. Mm, And keep an open mind. Mm. Why not? If it does no harm. Yeah, perfect. Are there any particular fads or things that you hear of a lot lately in the clinic right now that you would warn people about? What should people Oh my goodness, Damien, we look out see for? so many fad diets. You know, I laugh when I when I'm speaking to an audience, I'll say, Okay, who in here is doing keto? Who's doing paleo? Who's doing fruitarian? Who's doing breatharian? The <laughs> do, you breathe your way to a hotter body. Yeah. You know, and I'm being facetious, of course. I think people quite often ask me about intermittent fasting and see that as a fad diet. I don't see that as a fad diet. I see that as something that people can use in their toolkit um, and they can use that intermittently. I suppose some people could see that as a fad diet. I certainly don't. I know the research around it and I know what happens in our clinic and how we use it. And I also know the research and how endocrinologists have been using it to calibrate insulin receptors for a very long time. Now the research is talking about way more than just weight loss for intermittent fasting, but for clarity, concentration, brain health, neurological health, which is wonderful. So I'm really interested to see, fascinated to see all the research in that space. 
I'm always interested in like, I mean, we're living in a world that's moving so fast. Mm. I mean, so much is coming at us. And to be a researcher must be challenging just because things are changing so quick. Like the landscape is changing. But I wonder, like in your clinic, when you see people coming, are there any patterns or any kind of issues that you see kind of as like hot and fiery? Oh, I see mental health as one of the... the scariest things happening, not only within a a family space, a community space, but also in the corporate environment. You know, it is the greatest zapper of productivity, creativity, um, leadership skills. And with the statistics in Australia now are one out of six people in Australia suffering from depression, anxiety, and mood disorders. Mm. This is not too dissimilar in the United States or here in New Zealand. If we look at teenagers, Damien, that number is even scarier, and it goes to one out of four. And what we know about mental health is that it's multifactorial, right? So there's many causes from from genetics to financial to viruses to environmental toxins. Mm -hmm. But what we know now to be true is that food and its nutrients can help underpin depression. There's a randomized control trial, the first trial in the world called the SMILES trial, which talks about this, which is fantastic because... As me, as a nutritionist, I don't need to know that food will improve your mood, Mm. but lots of people like to see that science. So that's emerging in that space. When someone comes to you and they're and they're struggling with depression, where's the what's the starting point there? The starting point is let's bring it back to real whole food. Mm -hmm. Where's your fat? Where's your protein? Where is your smart carbs in that? And are you feeding yourself often? And let's stop spiking this blood sugar so you're up and you're down. You're wired, you're tired. You're hyped up, you're starving, you know, for as, for as high as the blood sugar goes down, as low as the dip gets. And you mentioned the word hangry the other day. Mm-hmm. You know, people get so hangry. And if they haven't planned or eaten well, that's the type of person that's just going to go, going to bang into the vending machine and hope anything comes out, mm-hmm. right? And that's where the shortcomings happen, where people are just grabbing for these grab-and-go foods that are packed with lots and lots of hidden sugars as well as preservatives and additives. But what we see constantly is people on a sugar high, a sugar low, a sugar high, a sugar low. And people don't realize, Damien, the consequences of sugar. People immediately start to think about weight, but it's way beyond weight. Hmm. It's about the oxidation. It's about the inflammation. It's about the the changing of the liver and how the liver is, is is helping cleanse and detoxify hormones that we've used in our body and we want those to be flushed out. So sugar goes way, way beyond just weight. Mm. I love it that the foundation is is quite simple. It's like just good, healthy, real food. Yeah. And people say, you know, I just did this interview and someone said, Michelle, you make it sound so simple. And I said, and they said, well, why don't more people embrace a healthier way of eating. And I said, because there's just so much nonsense out there. There's so much fad, there's so much restriction. Mm. But the reality is if we just go back to eating real food, we can eventually get to a point where we can be eating organic food and grass fed and all those things. But I just say to people, just start with real whole food. Step one. 
Mm. See what that feels like. And the longer people stay in that space and start to get a rhythm, then they get a little bit more curious. Oh, okay. I think I could carve out a little bit more money and a little bit more time to investigate organic broccoli. I just say, dip your toe in the water with real whole food. Just start Mm. there. And then there's many, many layers of good health after that. Very cool. And you mentioned just as kind of part of that foundation that there were four pillars, I think. It was kind of three plus stress reduction, I think. Tell me a little bit about those. Yeah. So I I like to talk about these four pillars of health in my book. So I talk about sleep, exercise, nutrition, and stress reduction, Mm. right? So if you think of the healthiest people you know, and I don't mean healthy by being skinny, I mean healthy in terms of their vibrancy, their mental clarity, their energy levels, their ability to connect, right? That is a sign of true well-being. And when I say that to people, you see a lot of people go, yeah, absolutely, I get what you're saying. Mm. So, but if you look at those people, they will all have a common thread. They guard their sleep, their exercise, their nutrition, and their stress reducers with their life. They don't compromise. They don't apologize. They don't apologize for eating good food. They don't apologize for going to bed earlier. They don't apologize for, oh, I'm sorry, I need to do some meditation. They just do it because they know that is the essence of them and the success of them. The trend that I am seeing now, I speak a lot at corporates and do, I just did this fabulous conference in Sydney, an AI conference with uh, people from all over the world. And so I was the well-being thread. You look at the top leaders now of the world and, and top CEOs and strategic thinkers, they are all embracing well-being and using those four pillars and they do not compromise. Yeah, they really don't. So exercise, nutrition, sleep, and then do not forget about that important component of reducing stress. And I think, Damien, as Cure Cancer Ambassador, I truly, truly believe that the research coming out in the next 12 to 18, 24 months around stress and the cascade to inflammation and hormones and oxidation and everything else that leads to in the body will be of major significance in the medical community. Also, just a little side tidbit that people don't realize is just stress alone. Let's pretend you're eating really well and you're sleeping really well, but your stress hormones are out of control from real stresses like a car accident or aging parents or a sick child or perceived stresses in your mind. Oh my goodness, she doesn't like me. Oh my goodness, my boss is going to fire me today. Oh my goodness, did I hit my KPIs? These perceived stresses that we make up in our head. Whatever these stresses are that are coming at all of us all day long, the body reacts the same way. The adrenal glands go on fire, the cortisol rises, the cortisol starts dumping glucose because that's how the body reacts. Now, this has nothing to do with food. This purely has to do with stress. Let me repeat that. Adrenals go on fire because all these perceived stresses. 
Cortisol starts pumping. The cortisol pumps out glucose because that's what the human body's meant to do to kill the saber-toothed tiger that's coming at us. But there's no saber-toothed tiger. And that cortisol is rocking and rolling, pumping out glucose. And we end up with people who what I call slender rusters that have insulin dysfunctions, insulin dysfunction purely because they're stress heads. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Amazing, right? And I guess in some cases you see weight gain, right? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we spent some time yesterday looking, uh, going over a list of suggested tests that we might do just to Mm. keep track of things. Would you only suggest testing when someone's not feeling great or is it kind of part of a maintenance program or where, where do you get into that? It's interesting. I I talk about this in in both of my books because testing is what you're testing on the day, right? So, and a lot of our pathology can change depending on how we slept, what we ate, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, in our clinical practice, we like to look at the person and go through their signs and symptoms and their health history. But we always ask all of our patients for blood pathology. It's just a good framework to start from. And I think any good GP or functional medicine doctor or nutritionist will ask for that type of blood pathology. And someone who has a functional medicine lens or a holistic lens will also look at that blood pathology and look at it and want to look at it from a preventative space. So Maybe the person doesn't have full-blown thyroid disease, but you can actually see a sluggish thyroid. Maybe the person doesn't have iron deficiency per se, but you can see that they're going into iron deficiency, right? So staying one step ahead of any disease process. Do you have any recommendations of how to find someone that thinks in this way? You mentioned the word preventative, and I know I've certainly had experiences in the medical field where it didn't feel very in-depth. You know what I often say to people now, Damien, is if you go to your doctor and you start talking about food or asking for blood pathology and your doctor seems a bit resistant, then I think that you need to get curious about why that person is resistant and perhaps look for an alternative. So the good news is I think lots of doctors are moving into the space of becoming much more holistic. I see a whole entire team of pediatric surgeons. I think that they really, really want to embrace the modality of nutrition, but it hasn't been incorporated. I think once they start to embrace the modality of nutrition, they will then become much more expansive on how the, well, we're seeing this already, the importance of sleep, the importance of exercise. Doctors are becoming much more open-minded and the clinical doctor of the past, they're going to be left behind. Mm. Mm. Amazing. Mm. It's neat to see just in my lifetime, it, it, when I was a kid, it felt like they were worlds apart. There was nothing in between. It was Western or alternative and that you yes. know, they were very separate. And and we are really, I think, blessed to be living in a time when you can get the best of both worlds if yes. you find the right. And, and I, what I love about my area, Damien, is... I like to work in conjunction with lots of doctors. Mm-hmm. So people will come to us with their oncologist or their gastroenterologist or their endocrinologist. And I'll say, 
we're, we're going to, we're both going to be looking at the blood pathology together. I want you to tell them that you're working with a nutritionist. And most of the time these days, we're getting no resistance at all. There was a day, probably in the early days of our clinical practice, where there would have, we would have been met with a little bit of resistance and a little bit of, oh, a nutritionist, what's she going to do? Mm. But not anymore. And that's really lovely to see. And in fact, I was in New, New York City at a um, conference not too long ago, the Integrative Medical Conference, I think it's called. And it's held once a year in New York City. The top neurologist, the top oncologist, I mean, some seriously smart academic medical doctors got up and said, it is impossible to, to do our modalities anymore without nutritionist and people that are opening our eyes to a much more holistic world. It was wonderful to hear. Amazing. Yeah, it was amazing, actually. So cool. Mm. And also like the acknowledgement of stress and the internal body and how mm. emotion affects body. And um, it's brilliant to see all that coming through. How do you think your, speaking of this kind of subtle internal space, how do you think your heart or your spirit plays a role in in your practice or in your purpose? Mine personally or just everyone? Yeah, yours. I mean, you're a driven woman. You're, you're very capable and you're creating in this space and you're doing so much. There must be something there that's driving that. Well, I think that there's so much work to be done and shared in this space. So many mm. of my colleagues go, Michelle, you share everything. You share all your research. And I say, there's so much room in this nutritional garden for everyone. Mm. But I, I find, and you would find the same thing, Damien, when you start to lead a life like we're leading, and this is not in an ivory tower. There's certainly no perfection about Michelle Chevalier. You you know that, right? I like a little bit of wine. I like <laughs> a little bit of coffee. I do lots of nutty things. But when you start to live in this space, you start to crowd out even negative thoughts, right? And so your heart just opens. Your heart just naturally opens. And when your heart opens and you know you truly know this path, then you just want to share it with as many people as you can. I remember one day speaking to Peter Joseph, who is this, the founder of the Black Dog Institute in Sydney, which I really am very fond of, and talking to Peter. And Peter and many of his children had done many of the programs that I run in retreats and things. And we were talking about all of this and he is a great believer in, in all of using food and using exercise and the holistic approach. And he said, Michelle, he said, when you talk about this, he said, it's just so infectious. He said, because you're such a believer. And I said, I know, Peter, that's why I do what I do. And I would do what I'm doing now for the rest of my life for free. Mm -hmm. because it's just so wonderful. It's nutritional transformation. But opening people's hearts, right? Making, mm -hmm. Letting people connect. Letting people find, this make me choked up, self-like. Mm -hmm. I don't I want to say self-love, but sometimes I say to people, it's enough just to get you to self-like. Because mm -hmm. so many people don't even like themselves. They don't even know themselves. They're in sleep deprivation. They're overfed but undernourished. They're walking around totally k 
connected to a device, but totally disconnected from life, right? And then you start to move in this other space and it's boom, magic. Mm. Mm. This is magic, isn't it? It's magic. Mm. Mm. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's mm. been an absolute delight mm, to have you, you with us. Yeah, there's more to come. So this is our first retreat together, but Michelle and I are already planning her next mm. visit. So stay yeah. tuned. Thanks, Damien. Yeah, thank mm. you. All right, family, if you're hungry for some more great nourishment from Michelle, check out her website, ahealthyview.com. Adventures in Wellbeing is available on many different platforms. And yet, regardless of where you're listening to us, do subscribe. And of course, check out our homepage at aroha.com. That's A-R-O hyphen H-A.com. There you'll find full show notes and links to more great, relevant, and free content from Michelle. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already, and we'd love to hear your questions and feedback. Aroha Nui, sending you all so much love today and every day. Be well. Thank you.